This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Simon James, the former lead singer of Duran Duran. Wait, what? Oh, okay. Uh, he's a James Bondville. No. Oh, hell, I don't know who he is. I think he's a kid who sits in the bathtub and draws. Either way, this one goes out to him. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I am Nagarigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? Steven's dome is a glistening. Spider-Man, the Avengers, Marvel's newest giant crossover. Are you happy yet? Are you not entertained? Man, you write 70 or 80 DC character profiles, and all of a sudden, people think you're biased. Plus, dungeons, dragons, no dice, but where is Torque? Also, the cat came back the very next day, but his opponent came equipped with a gun to shoot off the legs of his rival. Round one, fight! It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, even though some of us already got eight nights of presents, right, Mrs. Garcia Shapiro? The stars in the sky look down on Opal City and blah, 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 fish cakes, insert joke here. All the entertainment of your regular podcast, now with 33% fewer voices, the Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air! Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode Yay! of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad like you could be here. No Rodrigo this week. He's, he's up in the land of the ice and snow. The midnight sun and the yes. hot springs blow. Yeah, actually, he's in Ohio. So. Hammer of the gods. <laughs> Not quite Drive our ships to new lands. We will be hearing from Rodrigo later in the show. Also later in the show, we're going to be talking about Starman Omnibus Volume 3 from James Robinson and maybe or maybe not Tony Harris. We're going to talk about that later in the show. But Tony first, Stark? let's get to the news. Really, there's only one news item this week uh, that's really worth talking about. And for listeners who well, complain... it's, it's obviously we, related to DC because well, that's all we I was going to say, listeners who complain that we never talk about Marvel, this is all for you. Today in a press conference at uh, Midtown Comics in New York City, Joe Casada and crew stood up in front of a bunch of people and announced the next big mega event called Fear Itself. Now, what's interesting about this event is Tom Brevoort, and I forget what his official title is at Marvel. Uh, he basically executive said, editor, I think. Okay, uh, he basically got up and said, "Hey, look, we took a year off from major mega events because we heard from fans that you guys were tired of these huge mega events. So the last one would be what Secret Invasion, I think, is the last big crossover event that Marvel had. They took time off, and they've come back with Matt Fraction, Stuart Eminen, Wade Von Graub Badger, and Laura Martin." who are going to be working on this uh, seven-issue miniseries called Fear Itself. What happens when Marvel's greatest heroes take on the god of fear? That's a good question, because the bigger question then is, not only is this a seven-issue miniseries, it's also going to spin out Secret Invasion and Civil War style into any number of uh, of other titles. According to uh, Brevoort and Casada. It's a guesstimate of the tie-in title should be about the same level as Civil War. And I tell you, Matthew, when those uh, when Civil War was going on, you couldn't go to the comic book stand and not see something with the Civil War banner pl pl plastered across it. 
My thing has been not so much that the crossovers are inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's that lately they're trying to do stealth crossovers. Yeah. In fact, where they uh, will have. No, I was going to say, in fact, uh, Casada had mentioned you might want to go back to that Secret Avengers issue that you had reviewed a couple of weeks ago and relook at that giant map timeline because maybe mm-hmm. possibly they've dropped in hints of the fear storyline in that map. Well, of course they have. That's the only reason that that map was even there. And that's one of the reasons why I'm just like, I, I don't know if I want to see it. At least it's not Brian Bendis and Hot Artist of the Week again. It's not Bendis and McNiven or Bendis and Lionel Yu or, or Bendis and whoever it is that Marvel is trying to tell us is their newest young gun. At the very least, they seem to be giving us something from somebody new. Fraction is a good writer. Mm-hmm. I've liked virtually all of what he's done. I He even brought me back to Iron Man after two years of Hair Group and Fuhrer Stark. So <laughs> if you can do that, you can do about anything. Yeah. I think I'm going to reserve judgment simply because I don't know what this is. It may be really cool. It may be, you know, another excellent, subtle crossover. It may be something that actually has ramifications. Or, you know, it may be House of M. Well, Casada kind of started off with kind of a, I don't know, a faux statement. I don't want to say faux because it was a real statement. But basically right. he said, look, there's fear running rampant all across the world. People are scared. The economy's in the dumps. Um, people are nervous about where they're going to live, where they're going to get their food, yada, yada, yada. Just basically fear-mongering kind of stuff. And he said that this series is actually going to tie in more to the real-world events that are going on around us inside the Marvel no, Universe. So while Civil War kind of talks secret government and and who is in control, this one's going to kind of focus on those things that scare the general public and try to find eight heroes who can tackle the uh, the god of fear. No, it's not. Yeah, I'm just saying is, what he this said. Is, this is one of the disingenuous things that really annoys me. It's not. It's going to be Spider-Man and the Hulk and some other guys punching people in the face. It's going to bear no resemblance to what it's like, you know, getting up at 6 a.m. to go to your hateful job in the call center in the middle of the United States. Not, you know, not that I have any specific thought process in mind, certainly. (laughs) But, you know, I hate it when they try and do this. uh, Well, this is going to really tie into the zeitgeist of the the current uh, phenomenal... Just write your frickin' comic book, let us read it, and then we'll tell you if it sucks. And some of us will tell you it sucks anyway. Some of us will tell you it's wonderful, even if it sucks. Well, uh, if you go over to the Majorspoilers.com website, Matthew, there is uh, quite a few people who have responded to this announcement. And, I don't know, it seems fairly negative. Larry King says, well, count me out, I'm sticking with my no-event comic status. Maximus Riff says, I know that there's a lot of fans complaining about too many events, but this will probably be successful because some of those fans, um, because some of those fans, but it because they will make excuses to buy it is essentially what he's saying because of writers right. or artists or characters. Um, right. Mark kind of agrees with you. He says, I'll wait and see how it looks. Seems like a good idea, uh, especially if it's a psychological uh, story. It will um, be. <laughs> Seneca says, I was tired of event of the events the moment that they revealed Spider-Man as Peter Parker way back in Civil War. Um, Redneck Taz says, blah. <laughs> uh, Eric says, glad I don't follow Marvel. 
what uh, is it there's about? A, I, I know we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've talked about mega events before, but what's up with mega events? What's up with that? Do we love them? Do we hate them? What's the problem? I know what your main problem was, especially with Secret Invasion, was suddenly Secret Invasion was forced into one issue of a of an arc you were reading of a particular yeah. storyline, and it didn't make sense. It was literally everywhere. And the storylines of the Avengers titles that I was reading were suspended for four, five, six months. Yeah. While everything, you know, was like, oh, and this happened back in the day. Well, all right. How is that in any way, you know, interesting to me right now? My problem with it was if you didn't want to read, you didn't have to read uh, Secret Invasion to, or you didn't have to read all the books to enjoy Secret Invasion. Right. But if you read the other books, you had to read Secret Invasion or else your books didn't make any sense. My, I think it's a love hate relationship because it's clear that. And, you know, DC is as, is as guilty of this as anybody. Heck, I think oh, sure. all of the major titles are. Oh, yeah, everybody. I mean, these even IDW has their zombie thing coming out. Yeah, these things sell. People buy them and they think, well, this is going to be more important because it's going to tie into this. Or I can just read Blackest Night and not read anything else. But it won't work that way necessarily for everybody. Well, I guess my problem, especially with Blackest Night... Uh, Final Crisis kind of stood on its own inside those however many issues there were. Um, but Blackest um, Night, no. <laughs> well, I mean, there were some spinoff stuffs, but with Blackest Night especially, you'd have characters pop in and specifically mention something that happened over in Teen Titans or over in the Superman book or over in the Batman title that didn't make any sense, And like you said, unless you went out and read those individual issues. Brevoort did say that um, you should be able to enjoy your series, your your continued book, whatever that may be, Secret Avengers or Amazing Spider-Man or whatever, um, and enjoy the Fear Itself storyline, depending on your level of commitment. So if you want to commit and go all the way and read all of the, the tie-in series, and I'll say this, they wouldn't say how long this series was going to last or how big the story arc was going to be. The Fear Itself uh, main series is seven issues starting mm-hmm. in April of 2011. But they had mentioned something along the lines of 15 or 24 months for this whole entire story to play out. Oh, I... I mean, we saw, that with, we saw that in Civil War. I mean, we saw the Civil War books. We saw Frontline. We saw it spill into the individual titles themselves. Yeah. And, you know, the same thing happened with Blackest Night. It was an eight-issue series, but it literally took a year. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, there's even a prologue, a one-shot that uh, that kicks off in March from Ed Brubaker that kind of leads into the Fear Itself seven-issue series. I don't know. I'm just, I am, after Sinestro Corps War, I thought, wow, here's some really good stuff that's coming out. And then we started getting into the Blackest Night thing and creating all these new lanterns and uh, changing history and bringing back characters that really didn't belong. And then the whole fiasco of of the final crisis and Batman's death. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I didn't follow everything with the return of Bruce Wayne even. I mean, my God, what a mess. I, I'm kind of burned out on big events. I kind of don't want to, nor do I have the money to go out and buy 57 issues over a three-month period. 
just so I can get the complete story. And that's the other thing too. Price point for this, three ninety nine. Yep. That is a because big, Marvel big said their core titles, their basic yeah. titles, would be two ninety nine. Yeah, and but I don't know. Check out those. <laughs> check out every time I post a uh, or the Robot Overlord or whoever Jack Trigger or Matthew <laughs> or whoever is posting a story about a Marvel sneak peek or a Marvel new book coming out. Pay attention because we've been highlighting the the price, so you can see what books are at actual two ninety nine and what books are at three ninety nine or higher. I, I'm I'm oh. kind of burnt out. I'm burnt out, Matthew. I, I I'm probably won't read this, or maybe well, I you're maybe I'll alone. just stick with the seven issues and that's it. There's there's no reason why you should have to read this. There is nothing so essential that you have to read it. And if you say, well, the other books won't make sense without it, you know, wait, wait two months, wait three months, take it, take time off from your other books, stop reading things just because you think you have to. You know, granted, as as reviewers for the website, we read things because it's the job. Right. But you don't have to read anything. Yeah. Well, let me ask this, and this is a listener question from Justin, and it kind of ties into big event books. And it's maybe a coincidence that this came in this past week as uh, this news story was uh, getting ready to explode out. He, This is from Justin. He says, I enjoy your podcast. My question is, for major storylines in comics, such as the Sinestro Corps War... I can see that Jeff Johns wrote most of it, but then there are one-shots that are written by Alan Burnett. There are some other stories that are going on. I'm finally getting around to cataloging my comics, and I've noticed that this happens often with major storylines. Dana Abnett wrote most of War of Kings, but then there's an odd issue by Joe Pekoski and C.B. Sabolsky. But I'm just wondering how these writers get to script plot one issue of a major storyline and are never heard of again. And then um, he went on, or somebody went on to ask, how do we store and organize those uh those issues alphabetically okay <laughs> and that's the easy way um so first of yeah. all how come how come we get somebody like Matt Fraction and Stuart Eminen and Wade Von Grawbadger and and Laura Martin doing Fear itself yet we get a one shot from Ed Brubaker well i mean you cannot have one person write a huge overarching thing like this and have something to say about everybody. There's a good chance that, let's say, if we presume that Fraction pitched this and said, hey, Joe, hey, guys, here's what I want to do, and Brubaker went, you know, this reminds me of a really, really good story that I want to tell featuring uh, Demolition Man, Firebird, and Aaron Stack. Right. Then at that point, they're like, oh, well, we could print that as a one shot and, you know, have that whole thing tie in there. And then it'll seem like it's more real worldy and tied together. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they may have said, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to say, how is this going to affect Demolition Man, Firebird and Aaron Stack? Or how is this going to affect the lives of the second Bucky and Batman and that girl who kind of dresses like Zatanna? (laughs) You know, at that point in time. They may say, hey, Brew, do you want to write this story about uh, Batman and uh, Carrot Top and, uh, I don't know, Ben <laughs> Grimm's Aunt Petunia? Carrot Top. That'd be awesome. <laughs> and, and Ben Grimm's Aunt Petunia? You know, you can yeah. do that. Have fun. Yeah, and I, and I agree. I mean, it's just somebody finds an interesting story or some way to wedge it into a series that another writer is already working on, and they just make it work or, or don't work in some cases. 
Uh, but that's why yeah. that, that happens. Now, in regards to cataloging event story arcs. Yes. You say alphabetically. It's really tough. And what I end up doing at the store, and granted, you know, when I'm at the store, I'm storing more than one issue of each. I usually right. will have a tab, say, Final Crisis, mm-hmm. then Final Crisis Miscellaneous. Ah, okay. And so let's say I have a book, let's say, like, I don't know, Starman 81 that came out in the midst of Blackest Night. Mm-hmm. I had several issues of that. I put one with the Starman back issues. I put one with the Final Night Miscellaneous issues. Kablamicus, we're done. Yeah. But if I were if I were doing it in my particular collection, mm-hmm. usually what I do is I try to file them chronologically. Oh, really? So let's, yeah, say, you know, for a while back in the 90s, I did this with Legion and Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, I, I did that filed too. Them by the numbers. Yeah. I, I've actually undone that because of the Hero History Project. Yeah. To where all the Legionnaires are together and all the Legion of Superheroes are together and all the adventures. But back in the day, that seemed to be the easiest way to do it. Because if I'm going to read them again, they're going to already be in order. Mm-hmm. Same and thing goes from Jurgen's era Superman with the big triangles on the cover. Yeah, and that's, and that's, what's, that's what I was going to talk about. Uh, not many people are aware that back in the day when Matthew and I were young lads or younger than Jurgens. <laughs> they used to put on the cover of... Stories, even just regular storylines, Superman, Action Comics, Supergirl, uh, what was the fourth one? Superman, Action Comics, Supergirl, and there was one more, I thought. But they would put, right on the cover, a little Superman shield, and they would put the number of what order you were supposed to read these in. And Legion and, and Legion of Superheroes, especially during my favorite run of the Legion, they did the same thing. Nightfall, whenever they had the uh, the Batman getting his back broken event, they had little bat symbols, and they would put those numbers on there so if you did go back and reread them you could read them in order but what i found years later matthew when i was cataloging it was Mm -hmm. impossible to remember you know where things were i'd be like oh i want to read detective comics number 527 and i'd go and say hey i've got no detective comics 527 what the heck and then about a month later i'd be going through my batman oh there's detective comics because it followed along in that way so here's what i've done i've just go and do everything alphabetical so when we get to uh, Nightfall, it's spread out through however many different uh, titles there were. They're spread out through all those many number of boxes. Back then, we didn't really have a, um, a checklist. Usually at the end of a single issue, they would say, be sure to check out you know, Detective Comics X number for the next arc or the Batman or the uh, Robin or whatever issue. And then you could go and find that. What I'm suggesting for people today is if you go down to your comic book shop, and even if you order online, um, the publishers send out all of these little checklist cards. I'm sure you've seen these, Matthew. You had to have them during Civil War and Secret Invasion and all that stuff, where they give you a little printed card that they're expecting the retailer to throw in the bag that literally has the checklist of all the issues chronologically listed, so you can just go down and check them off when they come out. I would suggest that if you have a Fear Itself number 1, that you get one of those checklists and you just slide that in or tape it to the front of the bag or something. There you go. So that when you go and you're going back and reading it, you can pull that out and you can see that entire checklist and say, aha, I can go and find these these comics and sit down and read them. My thing would be probably tape it to the back of the board there outside the comic so that it's protected too, but there it's also something readable. Yeah, definitely. Or, as it's looking like many of the comments on the MajorSpoilers.com website – you might just want to wait for the trade and it'll be all categorized no, and, no. and cataloged for you. 
<laughs> no, no trades. <laughs> I, you know, I, I thought about trying to do Civil War in that collected trade format, and I got about three or four of those volumes. And it's just hard then to say, okay, when does this split off into Civil War Spider-Man or Civil War Fantastic Four? And how do I read those right. and what order do they come in? Even that can Well, be you know, the answer is. Don't read it. It doesn't. None of those stories really matter. Curse you, Marvel! <laughs> oh, speaking of Marvel. Speaking of Marvel, since we're doing all Marvel right now, and we're probably going to end up having a pretty long show. Um, <laughs> have you been watching the uh, Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes on the Cartoon Network oh, or Disney XD yeah, or whatever it's on? We will fight as one until our lives are done, and I'll stick a pencil in my ear. Do you not And like the song that show? will still be here. I don't hate it. I don't love it i think that my internal fanboy is a little bit horrified at the mixing of timelines and yes. and the psychotic speed with which we've burned through like the first four avengers lineups because they started with like the core four heroes the, right. the original five right that they like added captain america yeah well the original avengers were five there was oh, iron, man, iron man giant hulk man, actually ant-man Hulk, Ant-Man, Iron Man, uh, Thor, and the Wasp. Mm -hmm. And then in issue four, Captain America joined. By issue 16, we had a whole new lineup, granted. But, you know, they kind of scooped all the way by that. There was a really neat Gamma World episode where they kind of did uh, World War Hulk. Mm -hmm. That was kind of neat. And I'm a little off-put by the fact that it's very clearly movie-era Tony Stark. This is very clearly somebody doing a Robert Downey Jr. impersonation. Right. Although their Thor is kind of neat. And, you know, there are things that I like about it. The last issue episode that I saw, Mockingbird shows up. Yes. In full costume. Yes. And there, the issue before that ended with a cliffhanger involving the worst, single worst superhero character of the last 45 years, Ms. Marvel. <laughs> um, well, that's the Carol Danvers, right? I was going to ask. Yeah, Carol I was going to ask about that because my son and I sat down, and I really had a chance to sit down and watch a couple episodes of of the show. Because before I just walk through the room, I'd see it on or whatever, and I'd go. But this past weekend, we sat down and we actually watched like three or four episodes in a row. My son loves the song, by the way. He actually said, "Dad, I really mm -hmm. like this song." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." But then we get to the end of that particular episode with Captain Marvel, and. Carol's floating in the air, and we're left with that cliffhanger. And I'm like, okay, the next episode's going to pick right up on that. We're going to see the introduction of the character. No. No. Then the next episode, and it ends with the uh, revelation that Elektra is a scroll. Okay, great. Now we're going to get into Secret Evasion. Nope. It's just – it. Get, I, I, my problem with the series is not the fact that the, the continuity of their timeline is skewed because I don't know what the continuity or timeline is. My problem is right. you end with these cliffhangers, and then the next episode, there's nothing. It's kind of like the Avengers greatest hits. I guess. When you when you look at it. And there are things that I like about it. I think that um the art isn't as stylish to me hey, as a does, certain other series. You know who does that the we're character not gonna talk design. about. You know who does the character who? design on that? Thomas Perkins. Lionel you. No, Thomas Perkins. Really? A good friend of the uh, website, know. Thomas Perkins does the uh, character design. Or at least that's how he's listed in the credits, so that's, That's very exciting. Cool. I mean, I like the look. I like Thor. I like I like the stories. They're engaging. They're yeah. interesting. I mean, we get we get to see the uh, uh, discussion of the Kree Scroll War. We get to see um, you know a little bit of the Secret Invasion. We get to see the um, 
Hulkbuster outfits, all these things that are going on, and we get to see some very cool, you know, AIM and MODOK and all these people. Um, but I'm just disappointed that when we get to the next episode that the cliffhanger from the episode before is just not there. Otherwise, I, I mean, I like it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. The Hawkeye bits are nice, and I really like the fact that they brought in the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. I feel like Black Panther has some untapped potential, even though, again, it's kind of like Ultimate Avengers, where they brought him in clearly because they needed a character for diversity. Yeah. But it, you know, it kind of works. And I think that one of my greatest complaints, if I have any complaint about the show, is there's not enough for me. There's not, you know, that moment where I can just immerse myself in continuity and I go, look, Kang the Conqueror. Yeah, yeah. It moves. Yeah. It moves fast. So, yeah. you know, we're barely seeing Hawkeye get over the Black Widow and now he's dealing with a fully costumed Mockingbird. And I'm sure mm-hmm. two or three episodes down the line will have, you know, ramifications of each and the return of Ms. Marvel. I did not like the fact that they used ultimate Captain Marvel and that they pronounced it Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm wondering too if that wasn't because um, here's the here's the deal, and I can see, and and I had to tell my son, I had to say, look, in about ten years, when you understand, and we can have a discussion about copyright and law, we'll talk about why he's called Captain Marvel. Because the first time he said Captain, they said Captain Marvel, he was he heard Captain Marvel, and he's like, Dad, he's going to say Shazam, and I'm like, No, yeah. no, he's not. That's and, who Captain uh, Marvel is. Exactly. So we are going to have to have that discussion at some point in the future. So even my daughter knows that Captain Marvel says she's <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, continuing on with our Marvel talk. If you want to read, I tell you what, I am. I have not been a big Spider-Man fan. The last time that I read Spider-Man was when he unmasked in Civil War, and I was just so totally lost that I retreated for what three or four years or however long it's been. Uh, but I have picked up and I have read Dan Slott's Amazing Spider-Man run, this kickoff of the big time arc. And Matthew, I don't know if you've read it, but I am really digging Amazing Spider-Man. I I read Amazing Spider-Man in fits and starts. I would say my friend that. Sarah collects it, but she doesn't buy it weekly. She buys five or six episodes at a time. This is the only series that I'm actually going out of my way right now to go and read because it's not on my pull list. Uh, so I'm actually having to go down to our Hastings and every time that a new issue is out and look for it. And sometimes I'll go multiple times per, for, per week to see if it's out on the shelves because of our Hastings doesn't put things out on Wednesday like they're supposed to. In fact, I would say that I am liking uh, Amazing Spider-Man much better than Batman right now. I mean, you go over to the site, you can go over to the site and you can read uh, my Amazing Spider-Man reviews of, of that. And I'm just so in love with the Humberto Ramos art, uh, the Dan Slott writing, the storyline. I don't know who all the characters are. I'm familiar with them. But it isn't Batman. I mean, Batman is all about solving crimes and bringing down the bad guys. And lately, it just seems in all of the Batman titles, he isn't doing much. I mean, it's almost like, you know, if, if Batman were to, especially in the most recent issue of Batman and Robin, it's like Batman picks up the phone. He's like, uh I'm in Japan doing important things. You know, <laughs> if you read the board meeting minutes, Dick, you'd know what to expect. I don't have time to deal with you. I did manage to get to Gotham, though, and give Barbara a hug, see what she's up to. Yeah, she's still in the wheelchair. You know, my back was broken once, but now look at me. I'm such a jerk, I won't even use that same mojo on that poor, broken, wheelchair-bound girl. <laughs> oh, well, what you gonna do? Hey, remember that Hugo Strange guy? 
he's back, or he was back. You end up getting a lot of kids killed. Pretty violent ending to all those kids. Speaking of, hey, what's, uh, how's what's-his-name doing? You know, my real son that I don't have time for either. How's that working <laughs> out? I hear the Riddler's daughter might end up making the moves on you before too long, so be careful. You know, there's also a rumor that uh, I might be gay. Some of the ladies have been talking about the fact that Bruce Wayne doesn't uh, put out. But I'd say those ladies have a hole in their head. In this case, literally. Yeah, hey, did you see the solicitations from March? 18, I'm the goddamn Batman-related titles coming out. Batman is featured on 10 of those covers. If Batman keeps this up, Batman's going to be just as popular as that Wolverine fellow. Yes, Batman did, did just refer to himself in the third person. Quit being a dick. Goodbye. <laughs> that is, in a nutshell, what's been going on in all of the Batman issues. <laughs> Last week, that is exactly what went on in all the Batman issues. <laughs> and it's not, Even I mean, the it's, part where he's like, don't be a dick. Basically, I mean, uh, uh, the storyline in Batman and Robin, there's a woman who literally has a hole through her head, completely through her head, and she functions normally. But apparently, because Bruce Wayne didn't come to her funeral, uh, she's all upset and wants revenge, wants to get his attention. And so uh, Dick Grayson is in Gotham City dealing with this, and he calls up Bruce Wayne, who's in Japan, dealing with Batman Incorporated. And he basically says, I had no idea. I don't have time to come and deal with any of the stuff. You take care of it. But he did have time to show up in Birds of Prey and give Barbara a hug and go see her new hideout and deal with the insanity there. Whatever. Wow. I, Amazing Spider-Man, on the other hand, I'm liking a lot. But uh, there are about, what, four issues of Batman that came out summarized right there in that phone call from, from Batman. <laughs> Matthew, you also have something cool over at the website. <laughs> I do indeed. Tell in uh, my, my endless quest for comic books that are entertaining, whether or not they're awful yes. or not. Um, <laughs> I have delved back because there was some recent discussion about Archie. And someone yes. came up and said, am I the only one who reads the Archie solicitations? And I'm like, yeah. no, no, you are not. So I was thinking about Archie and the Archie superheroes and how, you know, eventually the kid from Riverdale just kind of shut them all down. Mm -hmm. And I went back for Mighty Crusaders number four from 1966. And what happened? And I'll tell that? you right now. It's called Too Many Heroes. And by God, a truer words were never spoken. <laughs> Let's put it and this way. Are, and these it's, are the Archie characters, right? These are the Archie heroes? Right. Yep. The Hangman and the Comet and uh, Flyman and the Shield and all those guys. Uh, uh, Inferno, the Fire Breather, and uh, Karnak, the Mystic, and uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Speedbump and uh, Pavement, the Amazing, and... Uh, you, you know, can read you can read that retro review. I recommend it because it is a fascinating look at people who just didn't understand... Yeah, how to copy someone just, else's idea. They didn't know, and it was it literally is a hey, do you like this? No, that didn't stick. Hey, what about this? Let's throw this at the wall. Wait, oh no, you don't like hey, how about this? You like pie? I like I got some pie. <laughs> That's a Matthew. I kind Schreiber of felt review. like Dr. Clayton Forrester sent me that comic <laughs> and made me read it. <laughs> and unfortunately you didn't have uh, you couldn't uh, stop reading it because you made those special parts to make your robot friends. In the Mighty Crusaders number four, you can check that out over majorspoilers.com. Just go over to the top menu, 
Go under reviews, click on retro review. You will find it. Of course, if you are a future person, uh, you might need to use our search engine. Search engine works just great. In fact, earlier today, we were looking for a review of uh, Darkwing Duck number five on the site. Use the search engine. There it was. Perfect. Works great. Darkwing Duck. Also, thanks to uh, Simon James, who donated this week to the show. Uh, if you want to take, uh, if you want to get your sh- uh, name shouted out at the top and get a dedication of the show, take a listen to this, and then we will be right back to talk about some reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you once again. You guys have made our year by making those donations to Major Spoilers. And also thank you to everybody who purchased those critical hit limited edition season one t-shirts. We had good sales yeah, on that, those, Matthew. We really did, actually. And I was I was mildly impressed. Your I believe your uh prediction, your amazing Karnak moment was <laughs> what, within two dozen of what we actually yeah. hit? Yeah, we were about twenty actually after I went back Pretty and did impressive. some recalculations. We were in twenty of what I thought we did. It was all good. It uh yes. Made somebody's uh, Christmas hopefully happy because they've got a little bit of money that they can go buy presents. Uh, paid some of our bills here in the uh, in the shop uh, and some other things. If you're wondering where your shirt is, they were mailed out to U.S. residents on the 20th. They were mailed out to international people because I had to fill out all those GD, what are those, uh, import-export forms or whatever the hell they are. Hell, I don't know. I've never shipped anything oh, any further than Ohio. God. December 21st is when those went out. So people in the U.S., you should have yours before Christmas if you paid for it. There are a few people who ordered but did not pay. Uh, So those will be coming out. But thank you, everybody. And if you're wondering, is there going to be any more merchandise in the store? Just keep watching. 2011 is just around the corner. Matthew, let's do some reviews. (laughs) Reviews. Here come reviews. They are reviews. We will review things to review. We'll start reviewing and then I will review and I'll be better because I have a lot more hair than him. I have a lot more hair than him. Maybe a lot more hair on top of your head. Okay. Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> number two. My brain. Listen, I'm not talking about DC Comics very much this week. So I'm going to review IDW's Dungeons and Dragons number two from Rogers D-Hoo? and DeVito. There's a D who? D who? ITW Publishing. We're all about Marvel here at Major Spoilers. <laughs> you know this this series picks right up, or this issue picks right up from the uh, first one, where they're trying to uh, delve into the um, uh, Shadow Plague and what's going on there. They we see them rescuing a bunch of orphans and trying to escape from a sinking house into the river and chasing off a shapeshifter, chasing uh, chasing them down, running into a battle of of goblins and orcs. It's interesting because everybody in the issue, all of our main characters, have some kind of dual spec. They're a thief, but they're also a healer. They are a uh, 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 warlock, but they're also, you know, um, great at something else. It seems like they have a lot of things going on. Um, like the first issue, this issue is told via a mini flashback. 
Uh, there's a lot of action, and I like all the action that goes on. I mean, it's boom, 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 boom in the uh, 22 pages or however many that are in this in this series. We go from a burning, sinking house to a caravan that's being beset upon by, uh, what are these, orcs or uh, goblins? I forget which one they are. Uh, I like the action. It does move very quickly. The art is fantastic. Um, all the character classes, all the races are represented, I think, very well. Very cliché. Um, if you want to put it, uh, if, if you want to say that, you know, the, um, archer or the, uh, the elf is the archer. I mean, it, it, the dwarf is the, is the warrior, the paladin is this guy and so on and so forth. Uh, it follows those very well. A lot of time though is spent on a lot of funny quips and that's kind of a, a downside for me where we don't get a lot of explanation of what's going on in the story. We're giving a lot of lead in like, oh, uh, you know, our leader, I noticed that you had uh, some possible past relationship with this woman. Would you care to explain? Oh, not right now. Oh, that big gem that we were chasing, what's going on with it, dwarf? Oh, I can't talk about that. I, I'd rather not. It's a dark, dark history of our past. Yet they have plenty of time to make with the funny in the book. And that's aggravating at times, to be quite honest with you. But overall, I think Dungeons & Dragons number 2 is an above-average book. It's worth taking the time to read if you're a Dungeons & Dragons fan. Uh, one of the things that they've been doing in the very back that I like is they've got character sheets for all of the central characters. And so I like reading that and seeing what's going on and, and uh, reading about their abilities. And I'm sure somebody, if somebody were really interested, could play this character in their campaign setting. Art is good. Writing is, is you know, above average. A lot of cliches, but it is Dungeons & Dragons, the thing that really kind of typifies all of the uh, science fiction fantasy stuff that goes on. Worth a quick read. Uh, three and a half out of five slices of meatloaf for me. Have you been reading this, Matthew? Have people been coming into the store picking up Dungeons & Dragons? Honestly, I haven't been reading it. That doesn't mean it isn't getting sold. I mm -hmm. haven't read it myself because I haven't seen any on the wall. Ah, they must so be selling that, out. That generally means they're selling out, yeah. Do you usually get IDW stuff? I mean, I know the Angel stuff oh, yeah. probably sells very well. We have we have a pretty sizable IDW area, actually. Um, their Doctor Who books sell really well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Angel sells really well. Um, what is lock that and, one lock that and they're key, doing? Lock and Key that I love. You love lock and key. There's another one though that I can't think of right off the top of my head that tends to get some pretty good sell through too. And I'm sure I'll think of it right after the show. Okay. All right. The spirit of the escalator is with me. <laughs> Why don't we talk about Avengers Academy? I mean, well, this is a Marvel show after all. That's true. We are all Marvel all the time. Marvel spoilers. We love Joe Quesada, and you should too. Yep. Avengers Academy number seven. For those of you who haven't been paying attention, um, during the uh, whole uh, Civil War extravaganza, Tony Stark decided to create a training camp, sort of a boot camp for superheroes. And then Norman Osborn turned it into kind of something schmucky and evil by doing pretty much the exact same thing, only not being like Tony. And, you know, the underlying story is that the Green Goblin and Iron Man are basically the same guy, depending on what day it is. Ah. Um, but coming out of that into the new, brand new, brightest uh, hero thing, Captain America asked Henry Pym, the, the only founding Avenger who never gets respect, to actually found the Avengers Academy, teaching the heroes of tomorrow. And who's teaching the heroes of tomorrow, you ask? Well... There's 
Hank Pym, who's renowned for being a multi-personality and a wife beater. And yeah, there's really Tigra, who's, <laughs> Tigra, who's five shades of crazy and also slept with a scrawl. And there's uh, Justice, Vance Astro, who killed his own father. And uh, there's Speedball, who blew up an entire city and killed like 600 people, including an entire school full of bunnies. Um, <laughs> and there's, you'd have to be made of stone not to be saddened by that. And uh, <laughs> there's, there's one other guy. And it turns out that the members of the Avengers Academy, Reptile, Metal, Striker, uh, Finesse, Hazmat, uh, Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Sacco, and Vanzetti, I think, aren't the the best and the brightest they're the most psycho they're the ones that norman osborne hurt the most and the ones who have the greatest tendency the greatest expectation that they could flip out and be the next speedball and kill hundreds of thousands of people so the first the first six issues of the series each one has kind of spotlighted a different member of the graduating class mm, okay so we have we have the veil issue and the hazmat issue and the striker issue. This issue is the Henry Pym issue. And it opens with Hank and Tigra finally discussing the fact that they have a baby together. Is this something new? Is this a new revelation? Well, you remember Tigra was pregnant? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in uh, Secret Tigra Invasion. Tigra had a baby. Yeah. And the secret the father in Secret Invasion was the scroll yellow jacket. Mm, okay. And Hank Pym says that for all intents and purposes, those scrolls didn't just shapeshift. They actually genetically turned into the people. So Tiger's child is actually Henry Pym's essentially biological kid. It's actually a really interesting discussion uh, because she basically says, hey, I don't want you to help me raise this kid. Leave us alone. But if I die horribly, you take care of him, <laughs> which is a that's about as sweet as Tiger gets. <laughs> And then uh, they start having a discussion about, you know, Hank and his his various neuroses and how he's had nine different identities and he was Yellow Jacket and he was all of these people. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to stop being the Wasp because I'm bringing Janet back from the dead. Oh, that's always a bright idea. Well, no, it turns nothing, out... Nothing if, bad if you, can go go wrong there. Not at all. If you ever read Mighty Avengers, of course, you discover that the Wasp wasn't killed her body was like transposed into some uber dimension where she's like floating naked in space or something. An I'm not sure how it all goes. Uber dimension and yeah. uber dimension and uber dimension. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Hank sets aside his plan to resurrect his dead wife long enough to go into battle with the kids because uh, a, a, a routine prisoner transfer goes wrong, and one of the most amazingly powerful guys in the Marvel Universe busts free. Do you know who it is? No, I don't. It's the Absorbing Man! 25% more absorbent than your regular man. <laughs> now, ask yourself this. The Absorbing Man can absorb other people's powers. Sure. There are six kids here with psychoses and the ability to cause woo-woo mass destruction. Yeah, this is bad. Yes, it is. So, of course, Hank decides he has to. He has to go into action. He has to save the day. And to save the day, he grows to be like 450,000 feet tall, and he decks the absorbing man. Now, the hundreds of thousands of people who were killed by his giant footsteps and the collapse of major buildings as he took on this much mass are not shown. And uh, they have a giant guy fight in the river. 
and they have a giant guy fight, and finally Hank saves the day. And ask me how. How? You know how sometimes he'll shrink people down, and he'll shrink them down so far that they leave our reality? Yes. Apparently, he says This time, slowly. He, he unshrinks them. So instead of shrinking down into the microverse, he grows the absorbing man up into the macroverse where he finds the abstract entities like Eon and the in-betweener and chaos and order. And the absorbing man kind of, you know, flips out and he's like, oh, no, I didn't do it. And he so absorbs they put the power of the gods. No, he absorbs nothing. Hank tells him, I'll take you home if you turn off your powers. And so he does. Oh, okay. So that's kind of nice. But so at the is, end of the issue. Is Hank Pym's powers uh, technology-based, or is he a metahuman? Hank Pym uh, basically discovered something called the Pym particle, mm-hmm. which allows you to change size at will. Ah, okay. So he can grow and or shrink. Pym- it doesn't matter. Right. The Pym particles actually have been defined now as a portal to another dimension where they can add mass for him to grow or shunt his body mass for him to shrink. Ah, okay. It's really annoyingly complicated. Yes. But at the end of the issue, he learns from, you know, Crusher Creel being the, the giant man and freaking out mm-hmm. in that macroverse. He realizes that's where Janet Van Dyne, the wasp brain is. And he says he's not going to bring her back because it wouldn't be fair to her. And he, you know, he finally has closure. And the implication is that he's going back to being giant man for real. For realsy. And he's going to be, you know, the new giant man. And of course, the fact that there's a cartoon version of Giant Man currently on the air probably doesn't have anything to probably. do with that. Yeah. 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 Cause he yeah. can grow into Seems Ant Man like- or Giant Man. So he is Giant Man mm-hmm. in that sense. Gi- G.I. Ant Man. Ant Man. Exactly. G.I. Ant Man. Now with Kung Fu Grip. Yeah. This I, issue I smell, is. I smell fear itself crossover happening in three. Two, one. This issue is a good one, but it's kind of a little navel gazy. I complained recently about uh, New Avengers number seven. Yeah, they're just sort of sitting around and talking and yelling and talking. Mm-hmm. That one worked a little better than this. The Tigra scenes are nice, but the exposition comes, you know, is a little bit clunkier than I like. I like the way the let's defeat the villain with this last minute master plan Mm -hmm. also leads to the resolution of the wasp subplot. Yeah. But I'm not entirely sure that I like what's going on with Tigra. The interior art is good. It's not the usual artist. I believe it's Tom Rainey on art instead of Mike McCone. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike McCone, of course, I, he's awesome. Super awesome. But overall, this is not a bad issue. It's just not one of the great ones. And I'm wondering now, since we've had that issue where we, we meet each of the individual students. If we're not now going to have an issue where we talk to each of the um, instructors of Avengers Academy, which might be interesting to have an issue where we get in the mind of Quicksilver and we get in the mind of Tigra. Um, I'm going to say two and a half slices of meatloaf here. It's kind of a mixed bag. It's a good issue. It's a strong issue. Not great, kind of right down the middle of the road. And, you know, the art isn't what I had expected. It isn't quite as clean as McCone's. It's a good book. I, you know, I recommend this. It's one of the better Avengers titles. It's probably, I want to say top two Avengers title. This and Secret Avengers at the top, New Avengers right after that. And then there's that other book whose name escapes me. Okay. Okay. 
Have I told you how much I enjoy reading Amazing Spider-Man? You have. I think you said something about. I like Spider-Man. I, like I Spider-Man. wish I had more. I wish I had more. I especially like. I, it. I wish that book was printed four times a month instead of three times a month. I especially <laughs> like it when Amazing Spider-Man goes him and him and him and then he like is the world's greatest detective. And I like the part where his kid sidekick grows up to be the new Spider-Man and he has Spider-Man Incorporated. <laughs> That was kind of cool. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Those are reviews. You can read more reviews from all of our creative team over at Majorspoilers.com. Now that the reviews are done, Matthew, it is time for... It's time for the millions in attendance and the thousands watching at home. It's time. Hailing from Sector 3 of the galaxy and vomiting at a 10th grade level. He is the cutest and fluffy wuffiest member of the Red Lantern. Yes, he is. Who's a beauty of Red Lantern? Yes, you are. He is Dex Star. And in this corner, coming down from his room, only to find Gideon's Bible. <laughs> Rocket Raccoon. I am Groot. <laughs> Hole of the week, 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 week. Now, look, I'm not a big fan of uh, cockfights or dogfights or other forms <laughs> of animal cruelty. Uh, but yeah. here are two fictional characters that already go out and maim and harm other people and other things. So it seems reasonable enough, Matthew, for us to throw both of these little buggers in the ring and, and see who emerges victorious. Now, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I read. Um, you know, all the Rise of the Red Lantern, Sinestro Corps, all that stuff. So I'm a little bit familiar with Star. He was this cat that basically has had a crap-ass life. He uh, tried to warn his owner that someone was breaking into the house, and that caused the owner to get killed. And then uh, and then uh, the police chased it away, and some guys were going to put Star in a bag and throw him in the river. Or Dexter was his name at that point. At which point the Red Lantern ring intervened and turned him into uh, Star, a little cat that vomits... Blood that will disintegrate you. And he has vowed to find the person that killed his owner. Seems like a noble cause for an angry little cat. But I will admit I know very little about Rocket Raccoon. So please, fill me in. Rocket Raccoon was, I believe, created by Keith Giffen back in the day. Kind of as a a one-shot character. In an issue, I want to say an issue of Hulk, perhaps. Um, probably best known for his 80s limited series featuring art by a young Mike Mignola. Uh, basically, he's an outer space raccoon mm-hmm. who was created. I want to say he was created now. I, I may be wrong, and people are yelling right now. He may have been created uh, by robots. You're I'm just giving you the feeling of I, 100,000 angry spoilerites crying out in the darkness. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> robots on, an, on a planet called Half-World, see? Mm-hmm. And the robots genetically created animals, right? Okay. And they made the animals all animally. And then Rocket Raccoon went off on his own and had a spaceship and had adventures. And then later ended up uh, a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy where he teamed up with Groot. I am Groot. Is that a tree? Ooh. Yeah, Groot is a living tree. You team up the living raccoon with the living tree. What are you going to do? I don't know. It sounds like pretty awesome if you ask me. 
Oh, if it they is only truly had Captain truly Marvel awesome. and Nova in that, that would be awesome. If you say Marvel one more time, <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming through the internet. <laughs> my name is Marvel. Marvel. My name Good is Marvel. I am a member of the Cree. We are at Wendy war with Marvel the underdog. We're going to blow up that. your planet. Prepare to fight. Go, Matthew. Who wins in this fight? Rocket Raccoon. How come? Well, two reasons. Um, Rocket Raccoon has full-scale human intelligence, and probably beyond human intelligence, he is an excellent tactician. He is the captain of, you know, his starship. He is a decorated member of the Guardians of the Galaxies, despite not having any superpowers and being a third of the side as of anyone else on the team. Whereas Dexter is a little kitty-kitty who says, Rear! <laughs> Also... I, and you know, lately, if you've noticed, the Green Lantern and various power rings aren't nearly as powerful as they used to be. I haven't been reading Green Lantern. Yeah. Rocket Raccoon has fought people the likes of Thanos. He's fought, you know, uh, what's the guy's name? Korvac. He uh -huh. has fought people as powerful or more powerful than Lanterns. So my money's on Rocket because Rocket will use his brain and his connections and the fact that, you know, he is a guardian of the galaxy. And then he'll just blow some people up, and it'll be awesome. I went uh, with Dex Star for the simple reason that I, I have love to clean DC up. and no, Marvel. No no. <laughs> no, no, no. I have a cat that constantly throws up, and it is the most disgusting thing in the world. And the thing about the cat throwing up is you don't know he's about to throw up until he throws up, which I think is what the tactic Dex Star would use on a rocket raccoon. Go in for some purring, scratch me behind the ears, and then uh, unleash with the disintegrating vomit and uh, boil Rocket Raccoon away in just an instant. <laughs> what if Rocket Raccoon has a gun? Dexter has the element of surprise. Because <laughs> no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. All right. Well, in this case, the faithful <laughs> spoiler rights. At this point right in time, 250. It's really close. It's 56 to 44, it which it's is, you know, the, really tight. It's the matter of maybe 40 votes here and there yeah. leaning towards Rocket Raccoon. I think probably because he is a tactical genius, but also, you know, Dexter. Dexter is adorable. I don't but think I think so. that Dexter's origin as a fanged blue kitty cat from space. He's kind of working against him. Plus, Rocket Raccoon is like 20, 30 years old, and everything from the 70s is awesome and new at Marvel. It's the new hotness. <laughs> Maximus Riff says, of both characters, excuse me, oh my goodness, burritos. Of both characters, Rocket <laughs> Raccoon is definitely better. However, this is a fight, not a popularity contest. And in a fight, the one with the better weapon wins, and that would be Dexter. The Red Ring might replace your uh, blood with plasma, but it gives you flight shield enhancements. And the Vomit Plasma Beam of Death. I don't think there's a weapon Rocket Raccoon can scrounge up to counter that unless you give him his own power ring, Nova Force, Quantum Bands, or Star Brand. Um, let's see if there's somebody else. Cats, Bob says cats equal... How about equal, all of the above? Cat, uh, Bob says cats equal pure evil. <laughs> so therefore, Dexter is the winner. Um, hmm... <laughs> Ambrose uh, Larry King, says, Larry King neither does. Pikachu could beat them both. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Uh, Britain 8090 says, I'm Groot. <laughs> Listeners, you I can, am Groot. 
Is that all that character says, or does he actually have a speaking? Yeah, that's the, the only line he's ever had. But oh, the best okay. part is, he actually delivers it in different sort of ways to make it actually, you know, really, really awesome. Oh, okay, all right. I am Groot. <laughs> I am Groot. If you want to uh, participate in the Major Spoilers poll of the week, all you have to do is head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. It's there for a week, and then it disappears into the void. The sub-ether. The sub-ether of the Antarctic webs. Matthew, I'm tired of talking about Marvel. Marvel, 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 Marvel. Yeah. My God, this whole podcast has been nothing about Marvel. When we come back... You go. We don't ever love DC. Why don't we when ever we love DC? we come back, I want to talk about some DC for a change because we never, ever, ever talk about DC Comics. Ever. Hey, cool guys. It's Rodrigo, who is me. And I'm here in Ohio, not really doing much and missing the podcast, um, by which I mean not being there for it, not, not actually like emotionally missing it. Um, and of course I had to go and get the hiccups right before this call. Fantastic. Anyway, um, not much to report other than I'm continuing the cause in that, um, some of the individual issues that I've reviewed, I actually took, brought down here and, uh, have given them to my oldest nephew. Well, first I gave them to my oldest nephew's mom, my sister to approve. And then when she was like, yes, this is something that my kid would want or I want for my kid. Then I gave him that comic. So, um, X-Men Origins Nightcrawler passed. Uh, She-Hulks did not pass. Too sexy, apparently. So, always keep that in mind, cool uncles. You have to run things by your brothers and sisters. Otherwise, they'll just be mad at you, and they'll tell your kids weird stories about you. Okay, bye. Hey there, Major Spoilers. This is Robbie from Florida, and I just wanted to say how big a fan I have been since I started listening to the podcast. In uh, last since last summer, uh, they helped me get through my 35-minute commute to and from my summer summer internship, and I have been listening since then. I just wanted to uh, see if you had uh, any any opinion on the new Back to the Future game coming out. It's a uh, point-and-click adventure from Telltale Games, the makers of the new Monkey Island game, as well as the new Sam and Max series, and uh, it just it, it looks great to me. It's uh, They've got the images of Christopher Lloyd and uh, uh, Michael J. Fox wrapped up. And while Michael J. Fox would not or was not willing or able to do the voice acting, they have a great sound alike, and they have the voice of Christopher Lloyd. Uh, it looks it looks like it's going to be great, and they have been spot on for every game they've come out with so far. So, just wanted to hear if you had anything to say about that. Thank you, and goodbye. Hello there, gentlemen, and a belated happy birthday, uh, Mr. Peterson. But I did wish to, at this time, comment on the whole Beaters, uh, Stan and Jack bit. I just finished listening to that section of the podcast. Unfortunately, it is late this time. And there was one thing that you guys really forgot, or I, I wish somebody would have mentioned, that where Stan and Jack, they had their bit. They brought the realism. They changed the way stories were. But I don't think that once they did that, it was great. Everybody changed and followed them. But I don't think that they kept innovating, bringing something completely new all the time. Um, Over the course of the Beatles' short history, they did that. They changed. Then they changed again. Then they changed again. 
they they kept breaking ground every couple every year or two into something completely new and completely undiscovered. Whereas when Jack and Stan were together, they did break into something completely new, absolutely. But when Jack brought it forth world, for example, it was like, okay, very good. It's, I like it, but it's not something completely different and completely foreign from anything I've ever seen before. Unlike the Beatles, who continued with the experimentation, along with uh, their producer, George Martin, who also helped a great deal, and they brought all all these different styles in and completely flipped it on its lid, turned it around backwards and sideways, and then they changed again once they got bored with that. Um, Stan and Jack kept coming up with great characters, and kind of like if the Beatles kept on doing great hit after great hit in their earlier style, that's how I would have seen Jack and uh, Stan. Beatles early on and just continuing on like that. Unlike the Beatles mid-stage, mid-60s, and Beatles late-60s where they kept on changing. Thank you very much. Once again, Mr. Matthew Peterson, uh, I wish you a very happy birthday and Merry Christmas to everybody. Thank you. Matthew, before we get into our trade paperback discussion this week, a listener called in and said, what did we think or what do we think of the upcoming Back to the Future video game? Marty! Marty, it's your kids! (laughs) There's something wrong with your PlayStation 3, Marty. Any thoughts on that? You're going to get it? You're going to check it out? I've seen the trailer. Yeah. I'm not much of a console game player. I used to be, uh, but not so much anymore. You know, once the uh, Sega 16 died... Um, just really haven't been that big of a console gamer. Uh, it looks fun. It looks to be in somewhat of a continuity. Um, doesn't have Marty McFly doing, or uh, Michael J. Fox doing Marty McFly. It does have uh, Christopher Lloyd in it, so that sounds pretty good. Animation and character design is a little, I don't know, a little strange. But, uh, yeah, maybe I'll rent it. Maybe Rodrigo will bring it over one day uh, before the show, and we can play it for about an hour or so. And thanks also to Slappy for uh, sending Matthew some belated birthday wishes. Did you have a did you have a good birthday? I did. I got pie cake. Pie cake. Mmm. Yeah, it's like it's like a pie baked into a cake. Yep. That sounds interesting. Cherry pie baked into a sponge cake. It was actually apple pie baked into a spice cake. Mmm. Sounds yummy. Mm. With Sounds vanilla icing. Did you get any cool presents? I did. I got uh, George Carlin's last book. I asked for that. I got a case for my new uh, smartphone to keep it from getting any more damaged. Cool. You know, I, I asked. I didn't know if they could find one in my size, but I asked to see if I could get you know a, a three-way, and that didn't happen. So you know, <laughs> didn't come in your size. Apparently, huh? my size is hard to buy for. <laughs> you know, it does come in your size. That Critical Hit Season One. Limited edition T-shirt now sold out. I got one All of those the way too. Up to quad extra large, so that's right. We like that. Yeah, and it has colors in it. A lot of quad extra large T-shirts stay white and don't have any color <laughs> until the pit stains appear. <laughs> the hey, yellow hey. of the pit stains. 
All right, Matthew, this week we are going to talk about Starman Omnibus Volume 3 from DC Comics, written by uh, the uh, James Robinson and art with Tony Harris, or sometimes Tony Harris in this uh, this, uh, volume. This volume uh, collects, what do we got here? It collects uh, the Shade Limited Series, issues 1 through Mm -hmm. 4, Starman issues 30 through 38, Starman Annual Number Two and Starman Secret Files Number One. I want to start off and say, having never read the individual issues, and we've talked about this before, having never read the individual right. issues, I love how DC packaged this omnibus. It's a great, perfect size book that you can take anywhere. I like the hardcover. I like the paper it's printed on. I like the uh, the little attention to detail inside the front cover. The uh, the uh, paper that they use in there with the little diamond shapes on it i think the colors look great on mm-hmm. all this paper it perfect size i don't have to worry about content being lost inside um that area where the pages meet in by the spine it's all there it all works great i didn't realize before we started the, the podcast i guess i wasn't really paying attention because i just dived in expecting this to be starman and this is a starman collection so I was just assuming right. that all of these were from the series. And right, right away, the, for, by the You're, time I was about halfway done, I was like, you know, this entire volume is more about other people other than Starman. <laughs> In yeah. fact, the first four issues is the history of the Shade. Yes. And it's only then right before we were recording the show that we were looking. I was like, oh, this collects a Shade miniseries in this as well. Right. The, the Shade miniseries actually was a standalone series with a different artist mm-hmm. that was actually... Three different artists. I, I want to say it was released uh, simultaneously had to have been. with the ongoing Starman series. Yeah, this first series had... Uh, it was uh, covered by Tony Harris, James Robinson on the uh, writing duties, and art by Gene Ha on the first issue. And I like that first issue, how everything kind of start, starts out in the sepia tone and then or really kind of washed out black and white. And as the issue progresses and as the series progresses, color starts to show up here and there. The second issue done by J.H. Williams. Um, The third issue uh, by Brett Blevins. And Mm -hmm. the fourth issue in this series by Michael Zuli. And each one a different take, but it works because each chapter in this miniseries takes a look at a different point in the Shade's history where he's going up yep. the uh, up against the uh, Ludlow family. Yes. And the history is really... The Shade, I think, is the breakout character of the whole series. And oh, the yeah, history definitely. is really fascinating in that it explains the entire, you know, the reason why the immortal Shade has a, a, an ongoing feud with an entire family it explains, you know, all sorts of little bits and pieces about his past, why he was a villain, why he was not a villain, why he was everywhere. And most fascinating to me, much like the resurrection of Max Mercury in Impulse, right? it features the return of one of the quality heroes that had never been brought back until the 90s. DC bought the quality heroes in like 1970-something. Mm-hmm. And a few of them, Uncle Sam, the Human Bomb, the Freedom Fighters came forward but guys like you know the spider who appears in this were never resurrected the same with quicksilver who max mercury didn't come back until mark wade's run on flash right 
the issue that I like, I mean, I really found find the history of the shade when he talks about him hanging out with Charles Dickens and him hanging out in different mm-hmm. points in in life, him meeting up with um, Scalp Hunter, uh, Bat Masterson, mm-hmm. some of those other Old West uh, characters that DC had at one point or somebody had at one point. Um, yeah. Of that four-issue run, the one that I like the most was when the shade is finally talking about how he he likes Jay Garrick. And he goes out of his way yeah. to rescue Jay Garrick from a uh, Jay Garrick has retired from being the Flash and a new hero steps in from St. Louis, but as the shade starts investigating and hearing rumors, he finds out that this guy is actually a major villain and he was basically yep. a kingpin in St. Louis before coming to Keystone City and uh, he goes out of his way to save uh, Jay and Joan. And it's just a really nice, touching moment where the Shade and Jay are standing over a seaside cliff and having a conversation about maybe we can be friends, maybe we won't be friends. Um, let's see what happens the next time we meet. And there's a reason why. And the Shade basically saying, "There's a reason why I pull my punches with you. It's because I like you." Yeah, and that's a really, really great sequence. That's one of my, you know, my favorite interpretations of Jay Garrick, but also. The Shade, I kind of get the feeling that Robinson would have been happy writing a Shade comic, but there was no way to make the Shade be as cool and esoteric as he is as the main character. So making him be, you know, that that cool character who shows up once in a while and says, hello, I'm the Shade, I've come to save the day or possibly kill you, I don't know right. which. In fact, you know, there's, an, there's I, a I moment. I love that. There's a moment at the end of this arc that's exactly that. Um, where, well, it's actually in the second arc, uh, actually from the Starman series, where the Mad Bomber, what's his name, Dr. Pip, is blowing up... The, uh, the immortal Dr. Pip. ...is blowing up buildings. And yep. Jack Knight is chasing him down, trying to find out what's going on. We encounter Copperhead, uh, which is a villain we yes. saw kind of a bit from in the 90s. He was kind of a big deal. Maybe not so much now. I mean, he showed up here and there in the Justice League Unlimited series. Um, Copperhead, I believe, was a 70s-era Batman villain originally, yeah. a, a minor guy who popped up here and there and was just like, hey, we need somebody who's visually distinctive. This guy's got a snake for a head. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we also see Jack getting involved in this ghost pirate story about a man that was wrongly yeah. hanged and is asking Jack to... Uh, clear his name so that he can go and rest eternally. Now that story wasn't yep. wrapped up in this R in this uh, volume. Um, no, and the black the black pirate first appears in the very first issue yeah. of Starman, and that's what I I really like about this series. How Robinson, and that's that's a nice thing about somebody who can control something from beginning to end. This is why I think The Walking Dead works the way it does, why Invincible works the way it does, why Starman works the way it does, and for you know, uh, better or worse, it's the reason why uh, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man works the way it does, because mm-hmm. you've got a single writer writing like the whole Spider-Man series. I like Spider-Man because I'm Steven. <laughs> Here, Robinson obviously had planned things out well in advance of how he wanted things to work out, and it's not until we get into the thirties that we see mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the pirate ghost appear again. And then Jack says, Hey, I've met you three other times or two other times at least. Yep. And it's, well, really, and it's, it's also really cool fascinating callback. to me. Yeah. The black pirate is in fact, another old school DC character. He dates back to 
God, like the first 25 issues of Action Comics. He dates back to the very dawn of superheroes and was one of the characters who appeared in the same pages as early tales of Superman. Mm-hmm. So, so using him here, you know, for the people that know that, it has that resonance of, ooh, comic history. Let's use the air quotes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if um, you don't know who the Black Pirate is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I didn't know you who know, If was. you've never read a Black Pirate tale, it does not matter because the story that James is telling isn't about the Black Pirate in action comics. It's about the ghost of the Black Pirate trying to find, you know, a way to be freed from whatever it is that the thing, you know, to free himself from his endless torment for a crime he didn't commit. There is a lot. And in the middle of that story. Yeah. Yeah. In the middle of that story comes one of my favorite moments. Copperhead is in Opal city to kill somebody. Right now. This this is Copperhead after his deal with Satan. He, he got a Neron power boost in underworld unleashed. And he shows up in an antique shop, and he's wanting to buy Bakelite radios, transistor, <laughs> transistor radios. radios. Yeah. And I love the fact that, you know, Copperhead, this evil character who's been around for, you know, at this point, years and years, it just wants to go, oh, I collect radios. He got me. Yeah. I love the way they humanize the character like that. They give him something that he obsesses over. And this is in the same the in the middle of the story where the black pirate is talking about, you know, why he's been doomed to walk the streets of Opal City. Mm-hmm. That was probably the one thing that I thought was a little jarring in this because we kept flipping back and forth. I think at least three times between what was going on with Copperhead, what was going on with uh, Doctor Pip, and also the black pirate story. And it was mm-hmm. a little jarring because I was like, "Ooh, I really want to follow the black pirate story," or "Ooh, I really want to follow what's going on." with this plot to blow up more buildings in, uh, in Opal city. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it just was kind of a little jarring, but it worked. I mean, ultimately it works. And your comment about humanizing these characters, that is the thing that I, that I really, really, really love the most about now into three volumes of Starman from James Robinson at the end of the last volume. Um, Solomon Grundy had gone missing. Uh, yep. they don't know if he killed somebody or he was in hiding. He was upset. And one of the O'Dare uh, family members is down in the sewers mm-hmm. where they find Grundy. And, and Grundy at this point is still this nice, peaceful, friendly yeah. monster that doesn't yeah. want to be tortured, doesn't want to be chased around, doesn't want to die. And he hears over the police radio that Jack is in trouble. Jack Starr is in trouble and he wants to go and save his friend. And so he and the O'Dares all run off to where Dr. Pip is, uh, getting ready to blow up this building. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, you know, the shade basically popping in at the last minute, uh, right. Basically coming in and saying, okay, you don't hurt my city. I'm going to suck you away into, right. But uh, that doesn't happen un- until Grundy is severely wounded, right? Saving Jack, right? And you get you get the fascinating issue, and this is one of the issues that made me enjoy a Batman story. And it you know it takes something for that. Where since Solomon Grundy is one of the original plant creatures, like Woodrow and Swamp Thing and Poison mm-hmm. Ivy, mm-hmm. 
they all manage, you know, they take the little moment of, uh, Alan Moore's swamp thing where they eat the tubers and they go into the dream world. Yeah. They go into the mind of Solomon Grundy. Yeah. It, it's this humanizing of the character is just, it's just wonderful. I mean, he basically sacrifices his life to to keep Jack and a bunch of people inside this department store from dying when Pip um, blows up or blows himself up or we think that he's dead. And right, it's just up. one of those sad moments where you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, Solomon Grundy's dead. And the thing is, the thing that hurts the most about reading this, at least into that part of the book, is you know when he comes back, he's not going to come back as – the Solomon Grundy everybody knows. And it's not until they find right. out that he the may night. still be alive that they go into that dream state and they encounter, uh, what's his name, Cyrus Gold. Or, Cyrus Gold and the Legion of Grundys. And yeah. this is this is a great story for me in that it's a meaningful tale. It makes sense for the characters, for Jack to want to save Grundy. Mm-hmm. But it also explains over 60 years of inconsistent Solomon Grundy characterization and it doesn't hand wave it. It, you know, it gives it this simple, elegant, beautiful explanation. Each new Grundy grows with a different portion of Cyrus Gold's personality in it. Right. That's just that's amazing to me. That is like, you know, that's light bulb over the head, brilliant right there. And then of course, in their mind, they end up having to fight the Legion of Grundies. Which is and just another awesome. hero has well, and, to save the day. The awesome is, moment is yeah. when Yeah, go ahead. Ted, Jack's father, who is, uh, at the end of Zero Hour, Ted was aged to be the equivalent of an 80-year-old man. Mm-hmm. Ted eats the last tuber, and all of a sudden, Batman is overwhelmed, and Starman is down, and Sentinel is down, and even the good Solomon Grundy has fallen. And then in the sky is a youthful Starman, the first mm-hmm. original Ted Knight Starman, coming in, zapping away. And Jack looks up, and he's like, I suddenly remember who my super, my favorite superhero was when I was a kid. And that was one of the Cyrus Gold uh, questions. He, he basically said, you know, what's your favorite Woody Allen movie? And basically saying everybody yeah. has a different Woody A- Allen movie that they love for various reasons. And the yeah. question of who are you really here for or, um, you know, who is your favorite superhero? And Jack is thinking, oh, it's, it's either Sent- Sentinel, the formal, former Alan Scott Green Lantern, or Batman, who he just doesn't like at all. And then suddenly his father appears, and he's like, yeah, my dad is my favorite superhero. And, mm-hmm. uh, and how that changes the whole tide of battle. Sadly, though, Grundy does not survive. Well, this Grundy doesn't. No. And it's, it's kind of good that he doesn't, because you know, the gentle Grundy... You know, that sweet kind of childlike character would require a specific kind of writing. And I think that if he was at large in the DC universe, it would go Rain Man very quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. That would be bad. So I like the fact that, you know, that Grundy sacrifices his life. And even though Solomon Grundy as a character, as a concept, will appear again, this Grundy is dead. This iteration of Grundy is not coming back. Which is And interesting. that's cool to me. I, I like that. Yeah, it is. But also knowing that, do you remember, was Robinson going into this planning on 80 issues? I knew he had a definite I run believe, that he wanted to do. 80 I believe he had a run that he wanted to do. It turned in, I think it turned into 80 based on how many he had done and how long it took for him to get to where he wanted to go. Okay. All right. Because I just like, wow, you're 30 some issues in and you got 50 more to go and you kill off a, 
a character that a lot of people seem to like, or at least I liked, uh, that early yeah. in the series. I mean, we see a lot of characters die. I mean, the first issue features, you know, uh, Jack's brother getting killed, um, many mm-hmm. other people getting killed. Um, but the, it's the issue following. This is the one where I got confused about Pip uh, and Shade showing up just as like the, the deus ex machina and taking care of it. Yeah. Uh, it also has the return of um, Michael Knight, Knight Rider, um, your mm-hmm. favorite star man. Uh, <laughs> Will Payton. Will Payton. I name? love Will Payton. Yeah, with the pink and gold costume and later the black and red. I think that it, it's a nice transition because there is a serious badass moment by the shade at the end of the Dr. Pip arc right. where all the heroes are helpless and their powers are paralyzed. Uh, they're paralyzed, by the way, because of the Genesis crossover. Ah, from I was wondering. There is, yeah. there are times. The Genesis is, crossover in like something. Man, when you were talking earlier in the show about crossovers impacting your favorite comic, this is one yeah. of those where I was like, all of a sudden they're in this big fight. Everybody loses their powers or all the, all the heroes whose powers were touched by God, uh, lost their right. powers. And then, um, and, and then all of a sudden the shade shows up because God didn't want to touch yeah. his powers, takes care of the problem. And, and he has back. such a, Great entrance line. Oh, yeah. Because Dr. Pip is like, ha ha, you have no powers. Ha ha, there's nothing any of you can do. And then he's like, I trust that when you say that, you're not referring to me. Yeah. And then he immediately, you know, he engulfs the villain in shadow and he's like, you hurt my city. You are the weakest link. Uh, bye bye. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this other star man, um, and this Who is, is a the 1990s story. So this is, yes, a this is, back. uh, the original Starman from the 1940s didn't really get revamped. When the Silver Age of DC came around, he was relaunched, and he, with the rest of the Justice Society, came around. There was the brief run of Michael Thomas, one issue of First Issue Special. Right. In 74, 75, um, Will Payton was relaunched around 1988, I want to say. Was he? And Is he from the future, or is he just somebody that... No, he in the first issue, he was just some schmuck, uh, some schmuck from Arizona who was hit by this weird beam that gave him superpowers. Ah, okay. And the er, the early arc of the story is how did he get the superpowers? Why did he get the superpowers? Why did he have the ugliest costume known to man? Because his original costume was ugly. (laughs) I mean, this costume put the ugh in ugly. It was pink and yellow and black and stripy. And he looked like an escapee from the Broadway version of La Caja Foal, as done by the Justice League of America. He was just really bad. Well, and that's the thing. And this is a he got, this is a '90s character. You're saying late '80s, early '90s, okay. yeah. Because that's kind of the thing too, especially in this. This is Starman number thirty-six. Um, uh huh. Boy, talk about crappy costumes of the 90s. There's a page where they talk about him and all of his uh, lady exploits. And there is uh, Power uh-huh. Girl and there is uh, Phantom Lady and, and some others. And those are definitely uh-huh. late 80s, early 90s costumes on those and characters. And Rampage. Yeah. Rampage with her great big purple mohawk. shoulder pads. Yeah. And her mohawk. Oh, my word. Pencils on this by Richard Pace. Inks. Yep. This is interesting. Here's a tie back to uh, earlier in the episode. Wade Von Grodbadger, 
uh, who's doing the fear oh. itself. So there you go. Nice. We'll, we'll, we'll shove a little Marvel into every DC uh, conversation that we have from now on. Oh, shove a little marble <laughs> up your butt. Oh, never There's mind. something odd going on in Turk County. Yes, there's something odd going on throughout this story, but Turk County is particularly unusual. Turk County, I believe, is the the outskirts or around Opal City. Right. Kind of the, uh, you know, I, I think really it's more of a deus ex machina. Yeah. That allows the Opal City to have this dark area it's like rimbor from the legion of superheroes mm -hmm. but and that's a, i mean that's an interesting one shot place. but again it's like again all of these all of these stories jack knight isn't the uh isn't the central character in a lot of these it's somebody else and so yep. i come off reading this whole volume as wow this is a great companion piece to jack knight's stories but in reality it's it really is a team book, very much like Buffy the Vampire Slayer isn't just about Buffy. It's about Willow, and it's about Xander, and it's about Charisma Carpenter, and it's about Teen Wolf uh, doing their Her thing. Her name is Cordelia. No, it's Charisma Carpenter. <laughs> um, and so Jack that's what, Knight isn't, that's he what isn't your, your standard superhero. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Having Jack Knight spend four issues having a Batman-like quest against Dr. Pip especially in 1996-97 when this book came out, would have been extremely predictable. It would have been very, you know, very much like everything else on the stand. So having that Dr. Pip storyline take place in and around the important bits, which are Jack and his friends and, you know, the life of Solomon Grundy, the things that mean something to Jack, the discussion with Sadie, his girlfriend, about, right. uh, I'm going to go into the brain of a vegetable man and I might not come back. You know, having that discussion with your, with your girlfriend, got to be awkward. So Jack is like a normal kid sort of thrust into this mad DC universe world, yeah. having to deal with this stuff. And the same is true of Will Payton, but Jack is at least good at it. Will Payton is throughout this issue is kind of treated like, you know, dirt. There's a point where, you know, the, the villains hold a, a woman hostage and say, you know, would you rather have this guy with all of his superpowers save you or would you rather have Batman? And they're all like, Batman, you want, you want Batman? <laughs> he ends and up he's like, but, but I have all these powers. Yeah. I have all these amazing powers and stuff. Yeah, well, we want Batman. <laughs> what did you think just jumping back for a moment uh, somebody had commented oh Stephen you're going to love uh, talking about uh, Starman this week because this is the one that has Batman in it oh. he was a dick and he was not a major part of the story to be honest he was there to fill he in the necessary was. bits of information and he served as the transport to get Woodrow from Gotham into this story and back to Gotham again and that's Batman really was like the it. official superhero. Yeah. He was the character who was, look at me, I'm the superhero, and I'm going to do... There's a point where they're talking about Alec Holland, mm -hmm. and everybody's like, what the who? Batman's like, Alec Holland is the brain behind the swamp thing. Obviously, right. you're saying that Cyrus Gold is to Solomon Grundy as Alec Holland was. This. Yeah, yeah. Batman is the Greek chorus, mm -hmm. but the reason Batman is there is so at the end of that arc, Batman can say, I you like to crime to Mr. Yeah, well, or the fact that he just <laughs> the, says, you know the, what, Jack, you are really a hero, whether you know it or not. Yeah. 
And that kind of goes into that that the annual that came out in 97, 98, where Jack and Sadie are having a conversation about how all these heroes previously have had failed relationships, whether it be the scalp hunter uh, character from the Old West, whether it be his own father who had a fling with Black Canary, the original Black Canary, and how it almost cost uh, his relationship and, and would have maybe cost Jack his life had things turned out differently to even featuring um, the relationship between, uh, I guess, Starman and his own wife having, or Ted Knight uh, having problems in their relationship as well. So that yeah, issue is all marriage. about relationships. And I don't know, the style, it's not the, uh, I mean, they use several different artists in this in this issue. And that's something else that I wanted to bring up too. I mean, I think uh, Tony Harris is a great artist. He did wonderful, wonderful things in Starman and also in Ex Machina. Um, but, you know, he takes top billing on the cover of this book. And I would bet that less than half of the pages in this volume are Tony Harris art. Well, the four issues of The Shade are done by different people. Right. The last issue uh, is done by... Dusty Abel, I think. There's a different artist in the middle of the Woodrow hallucination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got so that's um, a different Mark thing. Mark Buckingham who does uh, art on Fables and Jack of Fables. He's doing. Yep. He, and uh, Richard Richard Pace, as you said, does the Times Past story. Right. right. But Harris also does, you know, All the cover, the majority of the Doctor Pip. He does yeah. the Talking with David episode. Yeah. Which is one of the best Talking with Davids uh, of why, all time. Why is this one of one of your favorite? Talking with David episodes. The Talking with David episodes are always fascinating because they tell us as much about Jack as they do about anything else. But yeah. at this point in the series, Jack is kind of getting past his embarrassment about what his dad does. And so rather than just talk to David, who is dead, David takes him to have dinner with several dead members of the All-Star Squadron. Mm-hmm. Got uh, Mr. Terrific, Midnight, Mr. Our Terrific. Man. Yep. Black Canary. Dr. Midnight, the Atom, Black Canary, Zatara. Which I like And that. the Red Bee. Now, who's the Red Bee? I don't remember him very much. I mean, it, the Red that's Bee almost how it was one out. of he was like quality. a sidekick. Okay. No. The Red Bee was one of Quality's heroes. He was very minor. Um, his superpower was that he tra- he had trained bees in his belt buckle. Ah. That would come out and, and sting criminals. So the precursor but the Red Ant-Man. Bee was. <laughs> Yeah, he was so minor that Roy Thomas brought him back in All-Star Squadron to kill him. Mm-hmm. Literally just showed up. His Probably his most meaningful appearance for me is uh, when Grant Morrison did a very metatextual bit in Animal Man, mm-hmm. where Animal Man ended up in Limbo, where all the yeah. dead comic book characters are when nobody loves you. <laughs> the Red Bee did a big turn there. Oh, okay. Honestly, Red Bee is probably best known for being drawn by oh. uh, great artists like Lou Fine and guys from the 1940s. And okay. That's pretty much all. The uh, final issue in this arc is uh, Starman uh, 38. Um, mm-hmm. This is a missed story. Really a mist yes. in what jail? This isn't even JLI. This is what jail Europe or whatever. <laughs> jail. That Paris. isn't anything at this. At this point, it's there like was no Justice League International, no Justice League Europe. Yeah. This is four or five members, former members of the Justice League, 
coming together and trying to form a new Justice League Europe, JLE. The oh French equivalent of the Justice League. La fraternité de justice et liberté con queso. So we've got somebody's posing as uh, Ice. Uh, ice Man. Different character. Okay, Crimson Fox. Right. Blue Devil. Right. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Flamehead. Firestorm. Uh, Firestorm. And then this other guy who I'm not familiar with. Amazing Man is, uh, he was a member of Extreme Justice in the 90s. Extreme. Amazing Man is, yeah, he's the grandson of the original Amazing Man, and he has the ability, much like Crusher Creel from earlier in the podcast, to absorb the uh, abilities and capabilities of things. So if he puts his hand on steel, he can turn to steel. Ah, okay. So essentially he's the Kevin Levin of the uh, DC universe. Something like that. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, um, what was her name? You said, uh, ice maiden. Turns out she's really ice not maiden. ice maiden. She is, right. uh, the new mist, the female mist, the one that had uh, relations with Jack and now they have a kid together, and systematically, Correct. one by one, she murders all of those characters in very creative yes. ways. I mean, she takes them down Batman style. You know, here's the Blue Devil. Uh, <laughs> she's fighting, and she essentially says, uh, uh, "He's like, hey, I can take you down with my flaming trident." And she's like, "Yeah, you know, you're a devil. Uh, you're going to use fire. That's going to set off the fire sprinklers in here, but." Uh, Fire sprinkler water. It's all holy water. Goodbye. Psh, ah, no. Bah. <laughs> it's just, she does that one by one with the absorber. What's his name? Amazing man. Uh, she coats the wall with something a little bit different that basically makes him super fragile. And then she blows him apart with a little right. gun. Turns him into glass. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I like it's, this it's not, issue. It's not a star man issue. I mean, it's a, ancillary character no, here's here's mist here's this relationship with this child that becomes a po- an important part of jack's life later right but i remember being very outraged at this issue when it came out because they no sold both blue devil and firestorm they yeah. basically punked them out and just killed them on panel for all intents and purposes now they both got better obviously um, really the only person who died for real for real in this issue was uh, amazing man possibly crimson fox although i can't remember if she came back or if her twin sister did but this issue was and there's actually a point at the end where she says maybe it'll kill blue devil maybe it won't where they didn't come out and say blue devil was dead well he was basically a skeleton on the floor Yes, but at this point in time, Blue Devil had also sold his soul to Neron. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he had, you know, superhuman powery powers. So the whole point of this issue, much like the times past issue, was to set up what was to come. Issue 38 really sets up the internal conflict that drives us to issue 81. Mm-hmm. And it ties off of things that happened in issue one of the series. So it's one of those, it's kind of like the X-Files mythology episodes. Yeah. Where you have to watch everything and watch for the Morley cigarettes and all of that. This is a mythology episode, even if it doesn't include Jack. Mm-hmm. And I like, th- I like the fact that it's kind of that Neil Gaiman, uh, the Neil Gaiman model to some degree, at least in comics, where 
Starman isn't necessarily a story about Starman. The book is named for him, mm-hmm. and he's certainly the driving force. He's our central character, but each month it doesn't have to be about him, and it isn't specifically, you know, each month this is the life of Jack Knight. Because there are times where we'll go three or four months without seeing Jack in the book. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I, I really enjoyed this uh, this volume. But again, I kept thinking, oh, when's when's Jack going to appear? When's Jack going to appear? Oh, this is great information about this character and this character. And I love this character's interactions. I love this character. And I love seeing what happens with the O'Dares when the the corrupt one is found out. And da 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 but then it's like, wow, Jack really didn't have a lot of face time in this book. And that's okay with me. Uh, Secret Files and Origins, to tell you the truth, I just briefly skimmed through this. My problem with Secret Files yeah. and Origins is they cook up a way to tell you the history of that particular character in hopes of boosting sales or or whatever that they're doing yeah. at that time. It's kind of exposition. The nice thing about that whole volume, though, is in the back of that issue, or especially in this trade, they've got the quick bio rundown of all of the uh, Starmen. And so if you wanted to know who Michael Thomas was, it's in there. If you want to know who um, Starman 2 was, if you want to know the Miss family, if you want to know Scalp Hunter, and all of those, it's, you know, it's spelled out. And there's a beautiful, beautiful map of uh, Opal City. And if there was a real, if if uh, a fictional city could become real, I think Opal City would be a nice place to live in. It fits with my style that I like. Yeah, so but then that. occasionally, you know, you get eaten by a poster or no! the shadows come to life and rip you to shreds. No! Or a corrupt cop shoots you in the head. Bottom you know? line, if you are a fan of the Starman series, if you picked up those first two volumes, I don't think you would be disappointed with the third volume. I really, really, really enjoyed the shade elements, the shade story. If uh, if Warner Brothers is looking for something that they can turn into a series, a television series that doesn't feature a main major DC character that I think could work and attract a wide range of audiences, especially on the CW where you're dealing with supernatural powers, where you're dealing with superhero powers, where you're dealing with something that has a big story with lots of recurring characters. Warner brothers would, would be, it would be a good idea. I think to take Starman and turn it into a television series. I think it would work. I think it would work, no. to be honest with you. And I'm not I, saying it would work. I'm saying there that the adaptation would fall down because specifically of what we've discussed tonight. Right. There would be, you know, if you did it faithfully, there would be points where the main character is off screen for a long period of time. And you can't would, do that. I, I you know, Mulder was gone for a while. Scully was gone for a while in the X Files, and yeah. people still watched. Um you know, there I am, were whole episodes, there were whole episodes with just the with just the uh, the lone gunman in them, and those worked. And I think if handled right, I think people would get into the shade character about season two and really enjoy the the shade and want to know more about his history and would put up with a month of shade stories or at least two. Ep- I mean, you could probably actually condense that uh, that four issue arc into about two episodes. And it could be a mid-season story, and I think people would eat that up. I don't know. I think it would be a good. I think it would I be a know. good television well, I mean, series. It I think like the third volume. Volume. we 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 look at books and 
just until they're adapted to another medium. Right. I think that this book is successful regardless of whether it's adapted into another medium. But no, I think yeah, no. any adaptation is probably going to lessen the impact of the original stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But this is a fantastic volume. Well-bound, great art, great st- fantastic story. I mean, this is a continuation that mm. just has me drawn in and in and in. I, I have a feeling Rodrigo would like this third volume more than he's liked the previous two volumes. Um, but this is a big thumbs up for me. This is something that if you're looking for something to collect, if you're not into seeing Superman or Batman on every page, this is something I think you would enjoy. Matthew? <laughs> I think that if you've been reading from the beginning like we have whenever Rodrigo leaves town, you're going to want <laughs> to read this story. Yeah. Because this is the arc that really starts putting it together. This is the arc that gives us enough of the shade to be more than just a guy. And this is really the arc that makes it clear that Jack is going to become a superhero. He starts out being with I'll just wear this back with a star and be done with it. But he transitions through this story and further on into a real honest Pete superhero. And I think that that arc is very important. I wouldn't start with this one, obviously, but I always recommend, uh, well, Starman in general, but also the writing of James Robinson simply yeah. because it's so much fun and the characters are so human, and so accessible while also being in the DC universe on kind of mold. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right. There you go. Uh, Matthew likes it. I like it. I think if we forced Rodrigo <laughs> to uh, sit down and, and read it, he would enjoy it too. And that wraps it no, up for this week. There's not enough maggot or robots or <laughs> time traveling. That wraps it up for this all-Marvel issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, oh boy, we're going into that back room of the comic shop, the one that says over 18 only, the one that smells faintly of patchouli. We're going to be talking about pornographic comics next issue next week on the major spoilers podcast why oh good lord knows we'll see you then if you have any questions comments topic ideas for future shows or would like to sponsor a show send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com visit majorspoilers at majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the major spoilers forum you can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven, it's 
like a man of iron. Might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. Whoa, 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 whoa. What a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast. Copyright 2010.